Hi, this is Toko US brand manager, Ian Harvey. I'm here with Laura McCabe. Laura got a late start to Nordic ski racing, having had started Nordic track skiing and then racing in her early 20s. However, despite her late start, she made the 1994 and 1998 Olympic teams. Laura was in the factory team for 11 years and during that time dominated the US marathon racing circuit, including the American Berkebeiner. Laura has coached for the Mathau Valley Nordic Ski Education Foundation for 25 years and continues to. She has also coached a master's training group for the past 25 years and teaches a strength class at Winthrop Physical Therapy. Laura has multiple medals at World, Cha uh, world Masters Championships, both individually and in the relay and continues to be a world leading skier in her age group. Laura, 55 years old now, has two children, Novi 19, who is on the US ski team and Dash, who is 15. So hi, Laura. Hi. I'm really excited to do this interview with you today. I think that everyone who knows you loves you. You're a tremendous accomplished, tremendously accomplished athlete. And I think you have hard earned wisdom that I'm sure people will appreciate. So I'm looking Thank forward you, to this. Ian. Not sure about everybody loves me, but that's nice of you to think that. Well, that's my impression. Well, thank you. Thank you. So you grew up in Bozen, Montana and moved to Logan, Utah when you were 12? Yes. That's correct? Yep. You were a standout runner and you didn't ski race yet. But I, I think my understanding is you backcountry and alpine skied quite a bit as a kid. Can you tell me about your upbringing and um, where you were at and if you had like a mountain outdoor culture in your family? Um, yeah, definitely. So um, I grew up in Bozeman, went to elementary school there, and I loved Montana. Um, my dad was a forestry ecologist, so he studied um, Aspen in Utah and grasslands in Montana, and so the government moved him to Utah. And so in with that field, you know, it definitely um, made it so we were out in the mountains a lot. That was the interest of my parents. You know, we went out, we hiked a ton together, and moved to Utah, it was really hard on me. Like I didn't want to leave Montana. And when we moved there, I cried many tears, but um, got over it and ended up really enjoying Utah. And we back and do ski together as a family a lot, backpacked, hiked. Um, we were always doing things outside. So that was great. And then in um, high school, so in high school, I was really involved in music. I ran a lot and I, I, um, I ran track, but I didn't run cross country because uh, marching band was happening at the same time and I was in the marching band. <laughs> so I played, I played uh, marching French horn in the marching band and I played uh, violin in the orchestra and oboe in the wind symphony. And then I did take a year and I played saxophone in the um, jazz band. So I was a music geek for sure. And, uh, but I loved it. It was, we were really good. Like our marching band, we went to Disneyland and played um, at Disneyland, we played in the Rose Bowl. We won, you know, in Utah, marching band was a really big thing back then. And I had an amazing band director. So um, that was a huge part of my life. And so that's how I ended up getting a music scholarship to go to University of Utah. I, I was running, but I, like I said, I was choosing marching band over cross country, even though I really wanted to run cross country, but I was um, running on my own. So I went to school at University of Utah on a music scholarship which was a full ride. And I was very fortunate to have that. And um, I played oboe and violin um, at Utah. Did you want to say something? Well, I was going to make a wisecrack. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know you switched from marching band to running and then you got, you were really fast. So I was thinking 
I was going to make a joke about how marching band must have kept you in pretty good shape. So. Uh, it made me learn how to not move my hips up and down. You had to be like sideways on the same point <laughs> and then use your use the horn and not let it move. But um, anyway, so uh, do you want me to keep going? Yes, please. Okay. So um, then I went to Utah, right, on that on my music scholarship, and I I loved music, and I was decent. You know, I had a good scholarship, and um, and I would I was a music major. But after two years, I realized it was really difficult for me to sit in the bottom of the University of Utah music building and practice as much as I needed to practice. Um, at the same time, though, when I was being a music major, I was taking a triathlon class from Barry McCarowitz. So that's how I met Barry. I was like 19 years old. My sister and I took a class together and with some great people like Todd Aronson. I don't know if you remember him, but really good people. And we so Barry taught me how to ride a bike well in Salt Lake City and taught me how to improve my swimming technique. And uh, we did all these small triathlons, you know, Robin Masters was the star. I always thought she was really cool and like, that would be neat to be as fast as Robin Masters. But I was also running a lot at that time. Um, I ran my first road marathon, uh, I think when I was 19. And uh, I was training for that while I was playing music. I also, and I did well, like I, I was, my goal was to run under three hours and I ran like 259.45, so it was very close. <laughs> and that was the Golden Spoon. And then I also ran the marathon. I can't remember the name of it. It goes up from Little Cottonwood up and over and drops down into Salt Lake. Down, it comes down um, immigration. So a couple of marathons and I was doing well running and just in Utah, right, at road races. And I thought, you know, I really needed the money for school to, um, and that's why I kept my scholarship for a while. But then I had a friend who was with the team and she was running with the team and she said, hey, I think there might be a spot opening up. Would you consider running for Utah? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'd love to run for Utah, but I need money. <laughs> so fortunately I was in a good position where I was doing well enough running in Salt Lake that they offered me a, um, a full ride, the same scholarship, right? So. I transferred my running, my music scholarship to my running, to running, and I ran for Utah. And um, with that's how I was introduced to John Alberg. So, um, and that's another piece of my life story and picture. But I ran for Utah and really enjoyed it. I got hurt a lot. I mean, I was running, you know, two days, a, two times a day. It was a lot of running. And um, by the end of my running period. Um, after college, I was like, gosh, I love running and I'd love to continue racing, but I can't, I don't have the body build of a runner. You know, I wasn't this twig and I had some muscle mass to me, even though I ran well, but I, it was just like runners, you know, they're these teeny little things. Um, so then I decided I really, I want to keep racing. So I thought maybe I'll try mountain bike racing, <laughs> you know, and I was working and just up in park city with, you know, um, restaurant jobs and landscaping and um I tried I don't know if you remember Tammy Jacks well she was also oh, yeah. A, yeah Tammy so Tammy was a roommate of mine for a very small period of time and she's like oh Laura you should go to this mountain bike race and do it with me I'm like okay I'll try so I was I had practiced a little bit you know I I, I had cycled a lot um like with Paul Juan Savage and Sean you know they were buddies cycling all over the roads of of Park City and Salt Lake and I had not mountain biked a ton, but I was fit on the uphill, but the downhill, I was really bad. And 
these women, they just like, they just kept saying, you bitch. And they're just like yelling Seriously? at me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is not the sport for me. I'm like, and then I'd pass them again going uphill and then I get sworn at on the downhill. And I'm like, okay. And then at, at the end of the race, I really enjoyed myself. I had fallen a million times and it was like this dirt ball at the end. And I really enjoyed it, but I'm like, I don't like these people. I think it was, it's a lot better now, right? I think that was back, right, in like 1990, 1991. So um, I thought, um, I don't think I should, you know, look into this anymore. Um, and then I, you know, I've always skied. So I alpine skied and I backcountry skied as a kid. When we moved to Utah, my dad got really frustrated with how much downhill skiing costs. And so we put us all on backcountry skis. So I had moved on skis a lot. And uh and so let's see. So then I was actually working at Jeremy Ranch. Um, that was an incredible area. You remember Jeremy Ranch, yeah. right? Yeah. All the trails and Bernoffel's Ranch and skiing up on the canyon behind Bernoffel's mm -hmm. um, ranch. So we were working up there and I just started skiing a lot. And um, John Alberg, I'm like, I talked to him and I'm like, I wanna learn how to be a better skier. You know, will you teach me some things? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And so we would go out, you know, he would get off work and, you know, Sean and I were both working at Jeremy, but, you know, John was great. He just shared his information with us and, you know, tried to teach us how to be better skiers. Um, so, and I remember skiing up that canyon behind Bernoffel's Ranch. I can't remember it right now, but, and I was like, oh, this is so great because you can get a really good workout and you feel really good and you're out here, but you're not pounding away and you're not getting injured. Like I would, I was constantly getting injured running for Utah. Um, and so I remember just loving it. Like I, I really embraced skiing. I just loved it. I loved being out there in the snow and the winter and just um, even when it was cold and you're just like warm because you're moving. And I loved the technique aspect, even though I sucked, but, and I was, I was fit, but I sucked, right? Like I, I just couldn't ski very well. So it took time. And um, so then I started just picking away at it and, and I, going to citizen races and the U.S. ski team would come up to Jeremy and train and I'd look at them and I'd think, wow, maybe someday I can do something like that, you know? So it was, they were very inspiring, really good people. Um, and I thought, okay, I just have to keep working at this. And so I'd pick up little bits and pieces anywhere I could. I remember one time, Luke Bodensteiner, he was skiing for Utah at the time and he had taken off. He had come down from the chalet and he was skiing, um, at the bottom of those on those roads before you head up that canyon and it was a sloppy day and there were some tracks tracks that were groomed and then he had built he had basically skied in his own tracks and it was very um mushy and i'm i'm like what is he doing and so i asked him I'm like what are you doing luke like why are you skiing over there when there's track there are really good tracks right here and he's like well laura if you can't learn to ski on crap you know you're never going to learn how to ski so I'm like, so just picking up little tidbits like that. I still use that to this day, you know, with the juniors. I'm like, okay, you guys, you know, if you can't ski in this situation, you're never going to be able to ski when there's a race and it's like this out here. So, um, you know, from skiers that I knew, knew um, had experience and knew what they were talking about. Uh, Kendall Butts helped me a lot. He was um, influential, definitely at that time. Torbjorn Carlson, very influential. Um, you know, people that just helped, right? I wasn't paying them anything. They were just um, helping me. So um, do you have a question? Do you want me to keep going? Or? Yeah, but there's one thing I want to say, and that is, so you started, let's say you started trying to get good at skiing, or you started mm -hmm. track skiing, I think in 1990. Yeah. So we're talking about, you're being very humble about this. 
and low key, you're talking about you started 1990, you made the Olympic team in 94. So four years, you made incredible improvement. When did you start actually working with a formal coach? Did um, so that's interesting. I mean, I, I would say formal coach, getting help from Kendall, getting help from Torbjorn and Alberg, like blending the three yeah. uh, is what I did. And, um, and that, you know, I, and I was also training a lot with Ingrid at that time, you know, cause she was living in park city. So Kendall was definitely very influential in the beginning part of my ski career. And so is John Alberg. Like, he's like, Laura, you need to learn how to write your own training plan. You know, this is what I would do. You know, this is what I think you should do. Torbjorn, great input. Um, I wasn't on the Bonnie Bell team or anything. Remember the Bonnie Bell team back then? I wasn't good enough, um, but I was reaching for that. Yeah. So, and I think in order for me to, I just, I had the training background, right? From running. So that was huge. I had the training background. I knew how to slide on snow. I just didn't know. Skating was a lot easier to pick up than classic skiing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I know that that even now, like you see a really good skater, classic skiing is just a lot harder to pick up. So I had to really work on that. And I, I honestly don't feel like I became a really good classic skier until I moved here to the Metau. And I was able to ski a lot, like from my house, I can ski a lot. And I would just ski classic one day, skate the next classic, but you know, just a lot of classic skiing. Uh, so a formal coach, um, I, I comprised, I, my coach, like, I felt like I was working together with three really people so, that were helping me. So here's a question. Cause that's, there are a lot of talented athletes out there. You're clearly one of the most talented in my opinion, but, oh, I don't know but about that. for starting, okay. You were fit already, but you started 1990, you made the Olympic team in 1994. And this isn't like a, a junior skier. This is someone who's post-college. What were the, how, how did you do that? What were the things that helped you get there? Obviously you're training, training hard. You had some good help from some good people, but like technique is so important and you had very good technique. You know, how did you get from point A to point B so quickly? Um, I think for me, it was just like this desire, like I really loved skiing and I, you know, that's what I try to implant in my kids now, you know, I mean, all the kids, not just my girls, like, if you want to go far in someone, something, you have to have passion for it, and you have to love it. And then there's good people that will surround you and help you, right? Um, I just really loved it. And I love to be outside being active. And I, I also really like the competitive environment. So and I, I'm a seer, right? So I, if I watch technique, I'm, it's much better from, I can learn much easier than if someone's just like saying, telling me to do all these things. So I would ski behind John. I would ski behind Ingrid. I would ski behind all these people and just pick it up. Um, but it, you know, like I say, classic took a long time. You can ask the people, I ask Gordon Lang, ask Miles Benson, like, okay, how do you classic ski? You know, give me some tips. And then these tips would come out and I'm like, it just doesn't compute, you know? So that took longer for me. Like five yeah. K classic was always my worst race. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it was just, it was a process, but I, I think the main thing that drove me was I loved it. I really loved it. And I, even when I didn't race well, I'm like, okay, well, there's another thing to work on. Always something to work on. Right. So here's a question for you. When did you think that you might have a, have a shot at making 1994 team? Okay, so in, I went to my first nationals in Albertville in 92. That was my first nationals, and I was 12th in my best race. I, like, I think all, all my races, I was between 12th and 15th, and I thought, okay, I'm 12th, 
to fit through 15th. And I really don't know how to ski that well. I mean, I can ski, but I'm not like great. I'm not at the upper levels. I think maybe by 94, if I really work hard at this, I could make the team. Right. Yeah. So you said you went to your first national. Not Albert. I'm sorry. Okay. Not that the that we're going. The people that made that team <laughs> in '92. You guys went to Albertville, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and then '94 was Lillehammer. So the the people that were going to Albertville, you know, Nancy Fiddler, Leslie, all those guys, because the Olympics were two years apart at that time. Yeah. So that so. nationals, when they were make, trying to make the team, which was one of the qualifiers, that's where I was like 12th. Yes. Sorry. Good yeah. clarification. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so at that point you thought, huh, maybe I can, maybe I can make the team in two years. Like you have a shot. Yeah. What about, um, do you have any stories from Olympic trials? Cause it must've been a thrilling time for you, for anybody, but especially for someone kind of a shooting star, you know, right. Your star was rising so quickly. It must've been really thrilling. Um, it was thrilling. And it was scary. Like, okay. You think about younger people going right over to the world cup and it's like thrilling, but scary. Right. I think that was the same position I was in. This is, Thrilling. I don't know if I'm really up for this. Scary because I hope I do all right. Um, but a good position to put yourself in for challenge. And um, I think for, you know, <laughs> like my first encounter with Leslie Hall, like I like these women, but I didn't know what they thought about me. You know, Leslie's a very dear friend of mine. But the first time I met Leslie, we were skiing at West Yellowstone and I was skiing with Ingrid and, and um, I was skating and talking to Ingrid over here. And Leslie comes up behind me and I hadn't met her yet. And she's classic skiing in the track. And she's, I didn't even know her. And she's like, don't ski over the classic track. <laughs> I'm like, and then she skis by I'm like, who is that? You know? And now she's like my dearest friend ever. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, just funny things like this. I, I was just going in and I think they thought I was a newbie and I, I've had a, I had a hard time. I feel like breaking through. Mm. And honestly, I feel like one of my biggest breakthrough moments it was in 93 um, and we were at spring and I went out to dinner with John and some other people the night before like the 30 K national race there. And he's like, he said to me, he said, Laura, why don't you just go win the race? And I'm like, what you think I can really do that? I don't know. Like, and, but I thought if John thinks I can win this race, maybe I can win this race. And I went out and I won the race. Like it's like someone believes in you, right? Like that's yeah. a really big factor, isn't it? In your life yeah. and in kids and in, and I'm like, John believed I could do it. I'm like, okay, well, if you're a good skier. Maybe I can do this, right? So that was huge for me, honestly, to be able to beat the national team women at that time, because I, it was that step in that direction. Like all these other women on the US team have done on the world cup, right? Like you look at Jesse, you look at Keegan, you look at Sadie, all of them, Rosie, you know, Sophie and they they have won world cups well look where we are now right it's yeah. that belief knowing and they are just pulling everybody with them and it's so awesome so for me that was like huge okay knowing that someone would believe enough in me thank you John for getting me that first step forward so you went to you went to Lillehammer in in 94 and you finished 34th in the 15k skate which is amazing. A lot of people don't understand how amazing that is. The fields those days were completely packed with dopers, whereas today, hopefully things are a lot less. So that, that's a fantastic result, especially considering that was your fourth year skiing. It's actually unbelievable. What do you remember from Lillehammer 1984 and, and maybe even that race? 
depending. Um, okay, yeah, that was interesting. Little Hummer was just like the best Olympics ever. And I really hope that at some point we can go back there. I hope Norway says, yes, we want the Olympics here again, right? Like, um, so the crowds just, oh, you know, just it, it was like miles of crowds on each side to the um of the race track. I mean, our, our ski track all the way through the woods. I mean, you guys have seen Holman Colon. It's just like so amazing. And for me, that was like, wow, this whole country, you know, they're really into the sport. I remember Manuela DeGenta on that 30K passing me. And I'm like, she was like a whole nother level. She just, you know, I don't know. I was, it was like, if I could have, you know, drafted her for the next two or three K and just like been with her, I'm like, wow, I would have really seen some amazing things. It was like, it, yeah, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget. Just the stadium, you know, the music that they played. I still have that recording, the, just this sun and the way the people were and how it was extremely special. And our team dynamic there was great. I really felt like in 94, we had a great team dynamic and I can't say that for the rest um, but, uh, of the Olympics, like in 98 and everything. And I think that was huge too, right? Having a really strong team um, and where you were each other's platform, you, you know, really helped each other out and you were there for one another. That was huge. Uh, so it was an incredible experience. I just remember it being like the best ever. Yes. So in 1998, you made the team again, you finished 49th in the 30K. Do you have any comments or thoughts? You, you just kind of commented on team dynamic, yeah. a stark contrast between the two. What are your yeah. thoughts on 98? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so 98, I think if you talk to any of the athletes on that team, you know, I remember flying home on the plane and Justin Wadsworth was like, that really sucked. I'm like, yeah, it did. It was really hard. The snow was really deep. You know, I felt like, you know, the team was staying, part of the team was staying in one place, part of the team was in another place. Our team dynamic was not good. I mean, I, I just felt like we didn't have very much cohesiveness at all. Um, that's when I was really hanging out with like Becky Scott and Sarah Renner and the Canadians. Cause I'm like, wow, you guys are fun and you're supportive. Not that we weren't like, but it was just different. We, it wasn't divisive. It was just like, we were all over the place, right? There was no continuity. And I thought when I looked at Becky and Sarah and what they had going on with those women Milan, that's when the Canadians were like, you know, they were coming together as a women's team at that time. And they were starting, they were, didn't do great in Nagano either. And none of North America did. But then they started building this process where they, it, that was like the beginning of this, for me seeing how important a positive team dynamic is and what that can do for every individual result, right? So then when um, Keegan and everybody else on the women's team, and when Keegan took that leadership role and she actually brought it to the women's team, and it, it lifted us up like a whole, a whole nother notch. Yeah. And I, I feel, you know, I feel that way so, so strongly. Like I'm, it's so incredible what she started there, Keegan did, and what Becky started with the Canadians. And um, that is such a benefit to every single individual athlete that we didn't have in 94. And it wasn't, it wasn't just that, it was just hard conditions. Um, it was just a difficult time. It, Japan was hard for everybody. Um, so it, and with just the team dynamic, yeah, it's, we did not, we were not strong in the men or in the women. So, um, when I look back on my team experiences throughout the year, throughout my life, I look at 98 and I thought that sucked and look what's going well, Canada's doing it well. And then I see Keegan and all those ladies bringing everything together for the U United States. And I'm like, okay, now we're starting to go somewhere. And you look at what, what's happened, you know, and I, I just, 
I look at that example through Matt Whitcomb and all those women and what he's done with them and what they've done for us as a nation. And we should all look every single day we're coaching and use that as an example of what we want to do for our team at home, our junior teams and our development and how we want to create them and be, have them be strong platforms for like for everybody on the team and a safe place to go and trusting and loving, right? That's such a big deal. And, and a, a team culture like that to me gives uh, a platform to spring off of for life. Yes. Life lessons, you know, how to deal with disappointment, how to, how to deal be, being in a team in a workplace, for example, or in a family and still be positive and have a good synergy. And um, so this, it's more than just results, but of course that's an important part too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so between those Olympics and also after you competed for the factory team uh, about 10 years. Yeah. You uh, just going off of memory. Cause I was a, a good portion of those events with you. You'd seem like you won almost everything you entered in. You didn't just win, but you won by many minutes. Most every event you entered in those marathons. Um, that's clearly a good strength of yours is a uh, distance skate events, especially. Um, but I, I, I just want to point out that you were you completely dominated the marathons for a long time, including the American Berkebiner, which you won also with a large um, advantage. Can you can you tell us about winning the Berkey and being on that team in general and what it meant to you? Yeah. Okay. So it's funny when I was in um, Nagano, I was like, Oh my goodness. I'd just rather go ski for Andy. <laughs> you know, this is, this sucks where when I'm on the factory team, I love it. Like they are, were so supportive, Andy, Steve Poulin, you know, like they'd do anything for you. And they, you knew they had your back and our teammates, you know, we had a really good time. It was Carl Swenson and Nathan Schultz and Pete Wardenberg and Ben Husby, you know, Sonia stuck closer for a while, Sue Randall, you know, like, and a bunch of other skiers that came in and out, but we had fun, you know, we had a lot of fun. Um, and we loved the marathon experience. I wish that was actually still something that, you know, people could have right now, but the support that I got there, you know, they, they believed you could do anything, right? Like they always had my back for everything. And I can't thank those guys enough either. Andy like had a dream, right. For a team. And I remember walking across the parking lot and it was like in after it was like in 91, maybe at West Yellowstone when I had gone there a couple of times and he, he said, I really want to start this team, Laura. And like, and I think maybe we can get Subaru to sponsor the team. And I'm like, go for it. You know, he was taking over from Simino, but, uh, and he just did amazing things. He really did. And I know you have your, didn't you ski for a factory team too? No, uh, not for, okay. not for Andy. No, okay. I never did, but I skied, okay. I skied a lot of marathons over the years. Yeah. 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 But it was, it was so much fun. <laughs> We just had a great time together and, you know, we would go and race well, you know, we'd have big dinners together before races and we'd, uh, you know, at the Berkey, we always stay with Dennis Cruz and it was like this big, wonderful, fun party experience, you know, and um, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And then the Berkey, you know, I had been second and third many times, a lot of Europeans were doing it at that time. And I got, uh, I'm like, you know, so many times, second and third, second and third, but fourth, you know, because I had, I have skied the Berkey, I don't know how many times like at least 12 probably, but, um, and finally I won. So that was great. You know, like I, it was, it was time. It was time, you know, cause I had done well and I, and there was, you know, definitely competition th through the other marathons in the, 
um, country, but not like the Berkey. So the Berkey was super competitive. And finally I won and it was to, you know, definitely um, the people were always beating me that time were Europeans. So it was a great experience for sure. And yeah. And, but the, as far as the factory team, you know, that, that carried me through, right? Cause I was paid. I had a win schedule. I was basically, they paid for all my travel. It was my development to hold me through, you know, those years of um, just supporting what I love to do. Mm -hmm. So that was also very beneficial. For sure. Do you have a particular race experience outside of something we've already talked about that you'd like to relate? Yeah, like the Norwegian Berkey. <laughs> I think all skiers need to go do the Norwegian Berkey. So um, four years ago, I took a crew of kids from here. That was another dream of mine always was to take a crew of kids from the Metau to over to Norway. And we did, the kids just skied it. So we had 10 kids with a great, we had incredible sponsors that paid for this trip. I mean, the kids were really lucky. They paid like $400 for the whole trip. Um, and that was because we had these people here that were supporting us, but uh, they skied the Berkey. That's where Novi got her horrible distance uh, fist points for the first World Juniors anyway, um, because they put their fist licenses in in the registration never do that um so and we went there but i was able to race that race and then the kids raced also a sprint new big sprints that hilda g put on in the next valley over and then we did um a 5k time trial with trond flagstad who was coaching at that time in lillehammer with ntg that was really great and then we did the shushin 30 but the Norwegian Berkey to me, I just like, I wanted them to have that experience. I also wanted the experience and I was able to, to race it, but it was just like an it's like the Berkey, but on steroids, you know, here in Norway. And all these people do this race. Like I, I know many people that are listening to this interview probably have done the race or have thought, oh, something that would be a wonderful thing to do. But like these really old people, like 80s in their 80s, they're doing this race. <laughs> And, and it's crazy out there, especially in the 10th wave or 8th or 9th, wherever they start going down from, from Shushin all the way down to Lillehammer. And there's not tracks anymore. Like when I was skiing, I was able to start at 730. And, and I was, you know, they were pristine tracks the whole time. And it was like nine rows of pristine tracks, right? And then they just, it's just a beautiful race. I would encourage everybody to do that race. If you like to ski at all, do that classic perky. Yeah, super fun. And it was an amazing experience for the kids too. Super. All right. Um, you and uh, your husband, Sean, moved to the Metha Valley in 2005. And amazingly, where you, where you moved to, you had Eric and Sadie Bjornsson across the street and then Leslie Hall around the corner, uh, not too far away, which, which, you know, that's a pretty cool move to make and uh, to show up at a, at a community with, um, that's quite a Nordic community. That you moved yeah. to, and it's become quite a Nordic community. But anyway, um, your husband Sean passed away with thyroid cancer in 2009. I'm very sorry that you and your family had to endure this gut wrenching um, hardship. Uh, obviously, I remember going through that. Um, but Sean was a great artist, and reproductions of his work can still be found at seanmccabestudio.com. Can you please tell us or me more about your art business in the website? and perhaps a little bit about Sean's legacy for your family and for those who knew him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Sean, yeah, Sean and I had a great life together, you know, um, as we all figure out 
by this time in our lives, if you're 50 or older, you know, life is chapters, right? Chapters of your life. And I had a really great chapter with him. He was a incredible adventure outdoorsman, loved to climb. Climbing was his real, real thing. And we, um, before we had kids, we basically lived out of our a truck for like five months and just climbed. <laughs> um, and so he got a lot of his inspiration through like the Canadian mountains, the Begaboos, uh, Wind Rivers, like we spend a ton of time in there. Um, and lots of climbing in different areas of the United States. We climbed in the mountains a lot and we sport climbed a lot. And he was loved to climb. He also loved to ski, but climbing was his thing. Um, so he was definitely, his work uh, involves like the out of doors. It involves adventuring and climbing and skiing and just the beauty of the landscape around us. And uh, after that period of time, he, that we left and, and uh, we lived, you know, just on the road for five months, he came back and produced a really big um, volume of art. He took uh, about six months, another six months and just, you know, just painted, painted, painted um, because he was working on his masters. So that's the volume of work that you see on the website is mostly from that period of time. There's a few older pieces in there. Um, and so, yeah, I sell reproductions of his art and I feel like it's, it's really, it's so good for my family. You know, it's like something I can carry on from Sean and um, from his, just his love of the outdoors and his love of climbing and his love for just movement. Um, and his, the way he saw color, like I, I really love the way he saw color, uh, very bright, very Van Goghish. Um, so yeah, so I, I sell reproductions. I think, think for Sean's legacy, you know, he's a man of very strong character and a really good moral ethic. And I, you know, I know that that's what he wanted for his family, like for his daughters, like we, and when we were in Park City, we decided to take summers, at least two months of the summer and not work and climb. And I'm, I'm like, how are we going to do that? But we just did it. We just decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to take two months off together in the summer because he was teaching. And I continued that when the girls were young. I just continued to, uh, you know, after he died, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. You know, we took them out when they were just teeny babies, you know, sport climbing. I'm like, it was a ton of work. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so glad we did it backpacking, sport climbing, like we did everything with them. And I knew that wanted, he wanted me to continue that. And also, you know, he wanted them to be young women of very strong character. And I hope they are, you know, I, like you try to embed that in your kids, right? And um, you hope they're kind and um, helpful and nice people, you know, who, who really um, give to, back to society. But I think that's what he wanted for his family. I know he wanted them to me to still continue always to spend time with them outside, which I love too. Like that was just us. We were an outside family and we always will be. And I think ever since Sean died, I mean, it's been 12 years and we've always gone on summer trips for at least a month and climbed and backpacked and just gotten out there. And uh, to me, it's just like, I'm so fortunate they love to do that. You know, I feel so fortunate that they love to be outside. So, and do those things. But yeah, as far as his legacy, I would say like, I am so thankful that I have his art to carry on. Like what a great thing, right? And I have his daughters. What a great thing. I'm, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. You started coaching in 1996 and have now been coaching, as I said earlier, for 25 years in the meth hall, mostly focused on 16 to 18 year olds. You, you coach also a master's group in a strength class. You have a lot of experience in helping others expand their horizons 
both physically and mentally. I think that's a, a really exciting part about coaching. Um, what do you enjoy most about coaching? Okay, so um, yeah, coaching. I do love coaching. You know, I, I look at uh, the kids. I love that connection with kids. I love how they have to figure out how to achieve goals and they have to work on their time management skills and their work ethic. And then they have school and, you know, they have to work for their community. They have to put in community hours. Like it makes them this really well-rounded human being because they're so busy in school and, you know, training and making sure everything goes well that they don't have time to get into trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like such a great, you know, that through your yeah. girls, right? Like such a great thing for them. I am so glad that my children were involved in this sport, like for just for having them grow and learn all these things that they learn as they're growing um, in elementary and high school. You know, it's just so important. They learn how to communicate with other people, how to have good relationships. They learn how to load a van right. They learn how to be helpful. Um, so for me, just seeing them try to achieve their goals that they set out for themselves and picking away at them and helping them not get too disappointed in outcome, right? Realizing it's a process and nothing's ever going to be, nothing is ever going to be perfect. And you're going to have your valleys and you're going to have your peaks and you have to be consistent and you have to work through them and you have to have the stability of family and a coach that's going to support you to get you through. And I, you know, I love, I have always loved kids. Like if I would have started earlier, I probably would have had more kids. You know, they're just fun. They're fun human beings and they're to see them grow in a positive way um, and take on these challenges that they never, so many times they don't think that they can achieve these goals that they set for themselves and they do. And it's really cool to see that happen for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so you've been in, we mentioned teen dynamics in 1994 and 1998. Now you're one of the people who's kind of creating and steering teen dynamics. Can you talk about the team atmosphere and dynamics, um, with, of the junior team that you coach and how you're able to help steer them towards, um, that, good team dynamics and towards being uh well-adjusted young kids yes i so you, i always try right we try we try as parents we experiment <laughs> we see what works and we feel like oh geez that didn't work but that was a fail um and we're always working at it you know and so i feel like you know them respecting one another is huge and respecting each other's differences and i'm um, realizing that life isn't all about them. You know, as a teenager, life is all about you, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, very self-centered, even though they don't mean to be, that's just, and I'm not giving you guys any excuses that are listening to this, but that's sort of teenagehood and trying to think outside themselves, right? Of, okay, well, how's that person feeling? Or what did, when I said that line to this person over here, how did that really make them feel? How would have I have felt if they said that to me? And like the support issue of supporting every single person on our team. And it doesn't, it's not always jolly. Like I hear about things um, that happen that I was clueless about. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, that's going on. You know, so as far as like maybe a girl team dynamic or something that's going on with the guys and then you have to come in and you have to put a cap on it and you don't let it go any farther. You know, I think that's really huge. And having the kids really know that when they have a, that platform of trust that we've talked about, and respect for one another, even though they don't like each other that much, some of them may not, you still have to respect, and I think this is where the US team is really good, you have to respect the person, deal with their differences, and just um, support them no matter what, right? You don't have to love them to 
support yeah. them. So I think that's huge. And I think for us, another thing that's been really crucial in the last four years is we have been doing this mindfulness practice with Janice Dickinson. And it's not just about the mindfulness part. It's not just about the, the you know, working through your anxieties and uh, the sports psychology piece, which is huge. And I wish I would have had that when I was a kid, but it's about kindness, like being kind people, being good community, community members and being um, the team that like you had said earlier, Ian, that, okay, if you have a bad day, you come back and it's still going to be okay because everyone's going to support you or you have a great day and you're not going to be ostracized for your great day by your buddies, you know, or your friends, the, the people that thought that you thought they were your friends, but now they're giving you the, you know, the cold shoulder in the hallway because you won that day, right? Like that's not how we act as, as human beings, right? We need to respect and just really try to um, support one another all the time. So it's a process every single year with all the different personalities every single day, yeah. you know, and people have their, especially girls, right? They're on the emotional highs and the emotional lows and, and the guys are more steady, but they just like say it how they want to say it. And the girls play all the mind games. And uh, so you have to work around all this different dynamics. And it's like this whole process every day, all the time. And every year is different. So it's like, I feel like it's like raising kids, right? You try all these different things, but yeah. the mindfulness thing with someone coming in from the outside, like Janice has been awesome working on that, that, even kindness piece to one another is huge. Yeah. So. so one of the things I think almost defines cross-country skiers is, is let's say figuring out how to work hard because you can't be, you know, a cross-country skier is yeah. without that. And then there's the fruits of that. So you, you gain a work ethic and then there's a confidence that comes with that. You know, it's kind of like the way I look at it, if, you know, most of my life, if I am in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere, and my car breaks down, it's like, okay, no big deal. I'll just run to the next town. Problem yeah. solved. You know what I mean? There's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a particular strength and, and simplicity that comes with having had gone through all that training and there's a strength that comes with it. And, a, and oh, so yeah. um, can, you, can you elaborate on that as, as pertains to kids? And you've seen them go from zero to whatever, you know, in your, in your period with them. It must be really rewarding seeing that transition and their confidence and attitudes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a learning process, right? Like, and I think, I think they start out and they're like when they're in junior high and high school and they're having these results and to get them to not be too hard on themselves and to make them realize, okay, this is a process. Like you're small, you're a guy and you're small. Don't worry. You are going to grow and your results are not now they're not what you want, but you will grow into that. You know, having them work through all those confidence issues with themselves is, is hard, right? Because they're always judging themselves too harshly because our sport is made up of kids that really want to achieve something. Like all of our skiers always have been the best um, students in the school. You know, they're trying to balance academics. They have, most of them have good family lives and families that are supportive. So they are really hard on themselves. There's their biggest critic. And I think that goes without saying through the years. And so, um, you know, they're going to go through sickness, they're going to go through injury, and they have to realize that um, it's going to be okay. Like this is such a small portion of your ski career life, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to keep picking away at it. You have to be patient with the process. You have to know if this is what you want, you're going to go through so many hard times, but you're going to go through great times. That the hard times are what are going to chisel you to make you great in the end, right? If you, I always want them to get hurt in high school because they'll have this great support team around them to help them through that. And then they'll figure out, okay, this is how we get through this. 
And when they don't have that and they go off to college and maybe they have a great support system or maybe they don't, I just think it's harder. I mean, you know, we're all going to, we're always going to get injured, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to go through it. So I think just like get, they just, you know, they will achieve confidence through every step. And the ones that have been through more difficulties achieve it quicker. Right. I, I really believe that just the confidence. Okay. Th this is the battle. I'm in it for the long run. I just have to get through this and you stand by the side. And sometimes all you want to do is fix it and you just want to help them, but you can't like, they have to go through it and they have to get through this process on their own and there, you can't do anything about it. And that's heart wrenching. Right. Many times. So there's a you lot know that because you're own daughter. Yeah. So there's <laughs> a lot that we've, that you just brought up. What, what I was talking about is something I find interesting. And that's kind of the mentality that comes okay. as a result of having been a cross-country skier for years and trained hard. And that's one thing I find interesting. I've seen my own daughter go through that. Yeah. She, she's now tough as nails. Yeah. As are yours. Um, but but there's the other aspect that you brought up, for example, which is late bloomer versus early, you know, maturation when you're a kid and how to manage expectations that the, the frustration, disappointment that comes from being a, a kid that matures late, that was, for me, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I had to figure out how to get faster without a body that would transport me the way that some of the early bloomers who were the maturation kids did. And yeah. I, I learned how to figure out how to get a second faster here, a second faster there. And then when I grew, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. And then <laughs> I went from, you know, I went from really, really hard earned 15th place in junior nationals you know, but I was super, super excited about that to being by far the best junior in the country and thinking, wow, I can't believe how easy this came. But it's as I grew, but I did all the hard work before that. Whereas kids that matured early, they didn't necessarily have the work ethic that I did and, and figure out how to gain seconds here, seconds there, sharpening this because it came early. And then they stopped growing. Everyone else grows and, and they don't have the tools necessarily. Yeah. I know. expectations so it's super frustrating that's something you manage on a, on a you know very regularly as well what have you got to say about that because that's that's a tough subject it can i think that's super yeah i think it's super hard i mean i think uh, honestly it's easier to mature can you hear me my connection's unstable i think okay i think um i think it's easier to mature later because you have to like you say you have to develop those tools and then they get the big surprise later um, but they, they don't know that when they're going through it. So um, I think it's all about letting them really under, helping them to understand that this is such a short window in their ski racing life, right? It's development and we all develop at different rates and there's no one out there, many junior skiers that are stars, you know, when they're a senior in high school, you know, they're not going to be a star later on, but some will be right. So, so you can't get caught up in, well, look at that, what this person did. I should be doing that at this age. You just can't get caught up. You can't get caught up in the comparison game because it'll just pull you down. Um, so I think talking about it more than anything, like making sure you're vocal about it, make super vocal about that issue is really big because, um, you know, this generation, all our generations now have kids, you know, it's like, it's that quick, you know, it's like, they just, want instant gratification, right? <laughs> they want things like that. And then they look at Instagram and, you know, like everyone's perfect on Instagram, all these perfect things are like, they have a lot to deal with, you know, they have a lot to deal with much more so than you and I did. And so I think it's bringing it back to the simplicity, simplicity of, you know, you're going to mature at the rate that you are going, your genes have allowed you to mature at, and you cannot do, you can't compare. 
you can't compare. You just have to pick away at this note, trust in your, in the plan, trust that you're doing what you're doing is right. Believe in your coach. If you don't believe in them, then get someone that you do believe in, but hopefully you do believe that they know what they're talking about and trust in the process. That's something you used to tell Pearl, my younger daughter who skis for NMU now. Uh, I used to say, she'd say, hey, do you think I can do this? Do you think I can do that? And I'd say, well, um, this is your first year you've actually trained, you know, pretty, pretty decently. We'll know in about four years. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll know in like about that. four years yeah. what kind of yeah. talent you have, what kind of, a, you know, potential yeah. you have. Maybe about four years from now, we'll know. Yeah, yeah. I, like <laughs> I think that. it's accurate. No one wants to hear that, but. No, you know. but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when someone first told me when I started classic skiing and racing, they're like, I can't remember who it was. It could have been Gordon Lang. He's like, well, I'm like, what? <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want to bring up something else. That's, that's something I'm sure you have to deal with. And it's quite interesting. Many, yeah. kids, many kids and adults like the idea of racing until the night before the race. And then they yeah. can get worried and fearsome. And, and, and I think that's a really positive thing for most people is to conquer that fear by stepping up to the line competing it changed regardless of how the race goes but just going through that i saw my own daughter go through that pearl and uh, she went to her first senior nationals well she did a couple races but first full senior nationals and i remember thinking oh my gosh she's so she looks so small <laughs> she's way back there in the starting field and and she went out there and mixed it up and i was so proud of her and I would say that right there was the most transformative experience she's had in her life, at least to that point. She's had a couple since then, but I was so proud of not only the fact that she had the courage to do it, but out of all the fruits of that experience, you know, I, I see it, it built on itself. What have you got to say about that? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think we're so careful with our kids these days, right? Like, okay, well, they decide they're not going to do this. Well, that's all right. Or they commit to skiing or running, but they're not going to race. You know, they're not going to test themselves in that way. And that's okay. Right. But I think, um, I think the more we can get out there and test ourselves, it's like with music, like a performance in music, it's hard, right? You have to get out there in front of people and you have to play and it's scary, but you do it once or twice or a couple of times. And you're like, Oh, it's such a confidence builder, especially with girls, like girls in racing, get them on the line to face their fears, to face their anxieties, to work through this. Okay. If we can do that with them in high school, look what they're going to be able to do with their lives because life is like that, right? You have to step forward and you get into these situations that you have no clue about, but because of all the things you've done in your past, you put yourself on the line. You're able to do, you're able to conquer that in some way because you've been in those really uncomfortable situations before. I think it's super important. Um, but it's, I know racing is not for everybody, but I, I, when the kids are on the bubble of, oh, maybe I should do this race or maybe not, just like, go do it. Like, just get out there and go through that process because you're going to be better for it in the end. And I know these days racing causes, you know, a lot of anxiety in younger kids. And so the way we need to combat that, I really feel like is more sports psychology with them at an early age, you know, more mindfulness training, like reducing those anxieties. And I think we have more in our world right now. Um, and with adults, you know, I have adults that we have a great master's group here. And, you know, the best thing about the group is they don't care anymore. We, they just get together to have fun. And so when people are coming into that group and they, they're like, well, I don't belong there. You know, I, I have a lot of anxiety. Like they're all going to be ahead of me. I'm like, does it really matter? 
I think if we go to the kids and we like, you're just putting yourself out there. That's a good thing, right? You take the first step, get on the line, just get yourself out there. Same with adults, just get on the line. Once you get on the line and just go, you don't have to be in great shape. Just do it because maybe you're showing your kid that, yeah, you're doing a hard thing too, or you're enjoying this because you love competition and you're, you're not fit because you can, can't fit in a year at all, but you're like, you're doing it because you love it, right? And that's what we are now. That's what we yeah. do. Like you only fit in races. Like I fit in any race I can do if I can, if I can race, like I didn't race at all last year, but you know, there was, and that was mainly because of COVID, but if there's races around here that I can perform in, and then I can coach, you know, I don't coach it. I coach at the qualifiers when I'm with the kids, I'm just coaching, but if there's an off weekend and I can go race, you know, around here, I would, um, but it's yeah. totally dependent on their schedule. Yeah. So it's not just kids that have that. It, adults do have that issue yeah. too. Yeah. I think especially like, for example, with me, I've got, I've got expectations sometimes, you know, um, and as we age, and work more and kind of, yeah. you know, de de deteriorate over the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's harder to let go of those expectations. Yeah. You know, the, I've done Boulder Mountain Tours, for example, where I knew I wasn't fit. I mean, it was, there's no mystery to me. Of course, other people thought I was fit, but I knew I wasn't <laughs> close to fit. And I just spent um, a week down in Denver at the outdoor retailer show. And so I hadn't even seen snow for a week, you know. And then I go up to the Boulder Mountain Tour and I work in the expo all day, talk to people, whack some skis. And then I'm showing up at the start line, under-trained. My lungs are not broken. You know, they're all full of bad air and this and that. And I'm just like, ah. And, and I, don't, I don't like that feeling. You know, and before the race, yeah. I'm kind of like, you know, when, when you're expecting something from yourself that's unrealistic, you, it gives you stress. And it's not a good feeling. And, and what I've learned to do is have a little conversation with myself. And I say, hey you were thinking about doing this race all year and excited to do it. What's changed? You know, basically this is what you do for fun. So go and do it for fun. You know, you're the yeah. one that you're the one that picked this, you know, so live with yeah. it and have fun and, and tell your pride and tell other people's expectations to shut the heck up and go out and yeah. enjoy yourself and have a great day. And that's what I, I, I remind myself of. And I think that other people have similar experiences and, and if they, if they do that, they can also, uh, you know, a lot of ex racers like us, they refuse to race because of pride. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. it gets in their own way because they're like, well, what are the people going to think of my results? I'm going to ruin my legacy, blah, blah, blah. I'm way over that. Uh, to me, it's like, am I going to let my pride um, get in the way of myself enjoying the outdoors in this way that mm -hmm. I love to do it? That's terrible. That's a terrible thing to do to yourself. So I don't, I don't let that happen to myself. And I know you're a racehorse. You can't stay away from a race like I can't. I mean, I'll race sick. I'll race with one pole. I don't care. I'm just, and it, it's not my plan. I just can't help myself. Right, right. And you know? then, yeah. And honestly, it's like, shoot, you know, you never know where life is going to lead you. You could not be able to race tomorrow. You could break your leg. I'm like, take exactly. advantage of life, right? Exactly. Like, enjoy it, grasp it, because guess what? It could be over tomorrow. I mean, that's really what I believe. Yeah. So, so. so uh, you're, you're a racehorse, as I put it what do you, what does racing do for you? Like, you, I know you love racing like I do, but what does it do for you? What is it? It's not just fun to me. There's something deeper or yeah. primal about it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I think you're challenging yourself, right? You're, you're pushing past your limits. I mean, in, as a coach, you're always trying to get the kids to do that. You push past their limits to really reach and um, challenge themselves. And I think you bring yourself back as a racer. Now you bring yourself back to that position where you're doing that again. And it's not always, the result isn't always great, but at the end, you really feel like you accomplished something, you know, even if you couldn't train for it, you just, you, you, you were present in that race and you gave it everything that you could. And I think when we go out there and do that, as we're older, we realize, yeah, it's hard. And what these kids are doing, yeah, they have to really, they have to really, you know, love this and desire this in order to make it work for them and to really go on with this sport. I don't know, for me, I will always race just because I, as long as I can, because I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy the people. I enjoy the camaraderie as far as the United States and be able to go to different events. If, if you have time to, you know, it's like, we haven't had that chance lately in the past couple of years, but we we have a great community like skiers. We are a great community. You get to see those people again. Like when I go back and do the Berkey, I would always tell Dennis, he was so great. Like whenever I go back there, I can stay at his house and, and especially, you know, with kids and doing the single parent thing, I'm like, okay, this is my adult vacation. You know, this is what it is. This is my adult vacation. <laughs> I get to go race and I get to be around all these adults. This is awesome. And I, they're people I really love. So. <laughs> so that's one pitfall I think that people can do is let other people define their experience or their race. One of the best races I've had in my entire life was probably my worst result. It was after we had um, Hazel, our older daughter. And for whatever reason, I just, I got, my best friend was killed and I just got kind of in the, in a tailspin. I was working and staying up super late and eating badly. And I wasn't in shape at all. And I did the rendezvous that year. It was one of uh, like five races I did that year. And I had probably the best race of my life. You know, if you compare your potential on that particular day to your result, yeah. I remember I was 35 minutes out of first and, and I, wow. uh, which is a lot, you know, um, but I remember thinking, no, it's not. It's oh, good. fantastic. I did that particular day. I mean, I was in terrible shape and, and I'm, I walked up to them, saw the results. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I did that well. And during the race, my sensations were so good. And I was walking away and I heard someone say, what happened to Ian Harvey? And, <laughs> and I didn't let it bug me because I thought, you know what? I had the, such a great, it was a day. Usually you don't fall in love with ski racing when you're in horrible shape in a 50 K at altitude, you know? But I did that. I fell in love again with ski racing that day. And I didn't let it bug me because it was just a fantastic day, you know? So I never forgot that. Um, Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, we have to remember that for everybody, right? All of us that are in the game, especially at this age. And there's another aspect to racing that I never thought about when I was younger, but now I definitely think about it. I've been thinking about this for for a while, but like I love going intervals. I love going hard. I love racing. And I think what I love most about it from a, a very basic level is I feel the most alive. Yeah. That's when you're anaerobic and hanging on and just hurting, I don't think there's anything that I can feel or do that makes me feel more alive. Maybe mm-hmm. not during it, although for sure during it, but especially <laughs> afterwards, you know, you just feel yeah. so alive and, and yeah. vibrant, even if you're yes. even if you're not that fit. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's the best drug, right? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as like getting out there and it's not that, I mean, I, I don't take any drugs, but, but I'm like, for me, like, that's a great drug. Yeah. Just having that, those endorphins run through you for sure. Yeah. I guess <laughs> endorphins, but people, but right? 
it's yeah. the uh, it's the fight too. I, I guess that we're talking endorphins, but I wasn't at the time when I said that. It's the fight. It's the challenge. It's the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow I feel so alive during it. Uh, it's it's neat, vibrant. That's good. Okay, so here's another question for you. Uh, from my perspective, you're a famously fit and fast master skier, with many medals and and uh, accolades. Basically, from my perspective, you win whatever you enter or whatever you want to win. That's that's where you're not at. the Norwegian Berkey. The not the okay. Norwegian Berkey okay. is Helga Patterson. Okay, <laughs> okay, so that, that was a race you didn't win. Okay, got it. Um, do you have any tips for other masters athletes to keep their fitness as they age or to build fitness? Yeah, for sure. So I think you know you just need to keep the basics in mind. You definitely need strength as a master skier and balance. So I'd say do a strength workout two three times a week. Uh, make sure you get your interval sessions in. So uh, twice a week intervals, you know, we're doing a lot of long L3 in the summer months leading into fall. And then you go into more L4, try and get some time trials in in the summer. Um, and then long, slow distance on the weekend. You know, we're all good at the long, slow distance, right? And speed. So we, I think as masters, we're great at long, slow distance. Second speed, second balance and strength. We're okay at intervals. But mm -hmm. concentrate on your weaknesses, right? My weakness is running flat. I hate it. I could run uphill all day. I hate running on flat. So for me to do something like that is really hard. And sometimes I choose it. Sometimes I don't because at our age too, we're like, okay, well, I'm going to choose what I like to do, you know, instead of what I need to do. But I think, you know, just having those basics is super important. Like strength is huge. Balance is huge. Um, you know, the intervals are really big because you can go long forever, especially if you're an active person. Um, cause we've built up that, you know, system for so long in our lives. Um, and getting together with people to do those workouts is really beneficial too, cause it's inspiring and they're all, you know, if you can get with a group where you are, it's a lot more fun or even just a partner, right. And go do intervals with them, you mm -hmm. know? So Leslie and I used to do intervals. Well, we did them forever until like this year together, you know, for how many years, 25 years, every Wednesday morning, <laughs> you know, you have an interval buddy, right? Um, so that's really important or your interval group. So that's what I would totally, and then enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And you can't help but enjoy good people and skiers in general are really good people. Yeah. Cool. Well, here's a question. I guess I'm going to get a, it's a little philosophical, but you personally live a very active lifestyle and you always have done this with your family, like most ski families, spending time outdoors, recreating and enjoying nature is something that I love too. Can you please comment on how this has made your life better? Yeah, you know, I, I guess it's just, it, it is part of my life. Like it is the culture of, of my life and a lot of the families here in the Valley. Um, um, and I think where you are too, Ian, it's like, that's what, that's just what you do. Like I remember when I, my kids were young, um, you know, maybe they didn't want to go hiking every Saturday or out skiing every Saturday or whatever, be out as much and you would bribe them a lot, right? with candy and just getting them going and how they love it. But if you never go out with your kids or your family, because the kids are little and they're two and they're feeling like they're throwing a fit and they don't want to go, you know, you put on your, their snowsuits and you're just like, this is what we do. This is what we do as a family. And then they come to enjoy it and they love it. And I feel so fortunate that um, I have girls that love what I love. Right. And I, the only reason is because I got him out, honestly, went early. And that was what we did as a family. And we've always done that as a family. So to me, it brings, and then you go out and have these experiences, the adventure together, you go through crazy, funny stuff together. 
or you go through really scary stuff together and you come back and you learn something together, or you just have beautiful experiences in the mountains um, or super long days in the mountains. And you come back, you're like, whoa, that was really hard and really long, but we did it. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I feel fortunate, like with Novi and Dash, I mean, they've climbed the Grand Nixon Ridge twice. Um, and, you know, experiences like that, where they're like, okay, I can, I climb that mountain, I climb this mountain over here, they've learned all these things and all these skills. And then they can go on with their lives as they get older. And hopefully that will always be part of their life. But we as parents, I really feel like if we want our kids to have an active life, we have to be those role models for them. Yeah. Just looking at my life, I'd say that's the greatest gift I was ever given. Uh, yeah. You know, life, I guess you could say too, but but as a love for the outdoors. And and that love for the outdoors came from going to the outdoors as a child. Initially, yeah, I was dragged along. And then there was some kind of transition that happened where, you know, all of a sudden you're like, what do I want to do today? I want to go into the mountains, you know? And yeah, exactly. And boom. And then, you know, pretty much all of, except for childbirth and, you know, a few intimate moments with my family, Pretty much all the most profound, beautiful experience I've ever had have been in the mountains and in nature, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, oh, sure. It's pretty hard for anything to compete with nature. Yeah. Beautiful mountainous nature. Beautiful mountains, you know? yeah. And yeah. the peace, right? It's just quiet and peaceful, especially when you're backpacking somewhere. Oh, my gosh. And, and especially yeah. when, you, when you recreate in those settings as a family, then everything's magnified. You know, the love that you share with one another and the, the laughs and the... I don't know, the challenges and the victories and even the disappointments, it's all deeper, you know, mm -hmm. in that sort of a setting. The lessons you learn, ah, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful setting and I'm, I'll always be grateful for it, so. Yeah, no, I, I totally can. agree with you, Ian. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so a couple more questions. You've coached and competed for a great many years. I, uh, I consider you to be a very wise person. Um, can you, can you talk about um advice that you might have for parents of junior skiers you've got a lot of experience there yeah I, I yes for sure I mean you're you're much wiser than I am but you know I'll try to share what I have like we're always trying to grow in that um so for junior skiers you know I think what we were talking about is a is a really good platform right so you get your kids out there early enjoying the person that's what we need to do as families um and the more you can get them out there and with groups of friends that are enjoying the same experiences, they are definitely going to continue on with that group of friends as they go through school. I mean, I've seen it time and time again in the 25 years that I've lived here, like the groups go through and they engage with each other and they're together and they're all enjoying those experiences together. So as far as junior, junior families, like if you can get out with your kids early is really good, but then there comes a time, and I'm sure you saw this too, like when they're in seventh or eighth grade, and they choose, like they choose what they're going to do. And it has to be their choice, right? It can't be the parent's choice. And hopefully the parents are happy with their choice. Sometimes the parents are not and they want them to do something else or they really want them to ski race. Maybe that kid doesn't really want to ski race. And you've seen it go both ways where the parents can be super, super pushy, totally turns the kids off or the parents can be just supportive and just really, um, you know, it's hard because you want to help them but you can't help them too much because you want them to be independent and that you have to help them enough uh, to make, because they have busy lives that they can actually go somewhere with their skiing. So is, is, as what I've seen, the, the detrimental effects that I've seen with parents with their kids are the expectations can get way too high. Um, 
as a parent, the, the kids are, you know, they, they have their own expectations. And when the parents put really high expectations on their kids, I think it just turns them off totally. And they fight with it and there's anxiety about it. And it's just really, really hard. I think we just need to step back and, um, for all parents with skiers, you know, you support, you love them. You are always there for them, but it is their choice on what they're doing and, and don't get in the way. <laughs> That'll make it easier on all the coaches and all, you know, all the teams around here. Like, just don't get in the way of your kid. They are going to do what they're going to do. Maybe they need to push in a different direction. Um, you think they do, but you know, they're, they are going to make a decision with training and love them not because of their decision, you know, maybe you don't want them to be a ski racer and you're going to love them more if they are a ski racer, even though you would never admit that, but you see that, like, don't love them because of their choices, love them because you just love them as a person. And then they're, they're going to build their own lives off of that platform. Our daughters had a, you could say somewhat of a difficult beginning in that, okay, they were genetically blessed in, in many respects, but, but, um, Anything they did, people would say stuff like, well, of course you won, or, well, of course you're this, because yeah. look at your, you know, and, and they're kind of in a no-win situation and, yeah. um, in many respects. And to try to be sensitive that one thing that we did and continue to do, but we did for years that I thought was very good. And then looking at it, I was thinking, you know, that's probably good for any parent, not just for a child in that's, that particular situation, was we tried to give ownership as much as possible to the child. So to our daughters. So it was never about our standard. You know, it was never appropriate in my mind for me to look at a result sheet and say, oh, that's pretty good. Kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or that's great. Or look at the role you won. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you know, like to, to even talk about results, I think is, is you're getting into trouble there. I think you pretty much just got to remember you're the parent and just, you know, it, it could be a music practice. It could be a ski race. It could be, um, you know, a drawing they just did. Whatever it is, just love them and support them and, and don't comment on, you know, keep your mouth shut. Just keep your heart open. And you know what I mean? Like, yes. I tell, yes. you know, yeah. give, make sure that they have ownership. Never take the ownership away from them by by trying to define success or, or anything like that. Make sure that they have ownership. I think that makes it motivating and fun for them. And anytime you take ownership away, even inadvertently, you're doing them a great disservice because you're taking the fun away from it. You know, it's no longer there. Or they're going to want to continue doing it, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, if they want to talk to you about a result, let them bring it up. Exactly. If they can talk to you about it. Don't go talking to them about their results. <laughs> you know, that causes so many problems, so many problems. And right. I totally agree with you too. Like the love piece, the love piece is is crucial, right? They, we are, we always need to be there for them. And if they can come back to us the same way they can come back to a team and be safe and always loved and always supported, no matter what their performance is, that's what you have to be for them. Because if it's anything other than that, it's actually um, really harmful. I mean, isn't that what we feel anyway? Isn't it like, yeah. you know what, in reality, I could give a crap how your race did, except yeah. I know it's important to you. But yes. in terms of how it's important to me, I could give a crap. I just want you to be happy. Because yes. I love you. You know, that, that's really what it's got to be. Yeah. Anything but that is a problem, you know? I totally agree, Ian. Yes, yeah. 100%. Like, it really should be, I could care less how you did in the race, except I know it's important to you. Right. And so reality, then, I could yeah. care less, you know? Yeah. I just want you to be happy and I love you and I want to know how I can support you best. 
But and that's that's the big thing too with kids these days. Well, all of you know skiers is they have really high expectations for themselves. So we can't put those expectations on them of what we would like to see them achieve. And I think that's that that needs to be said, right? That's not just known. But like, I didn't see with the kids on the team, you know, just so you guys know, like what I expect from you, this is what I expect from you when you go out there on that race day, that you give it everything. And when you give it everything and you're happy and you are satisfied with your race, that's all I want, because that's what's going to make you happy. That that way you're going to build more confidence in yourself, even if it's not the race that you chose. So it's like, this is a great lesson from Jesse, I think. And when they finish a race, you write down three things you did well, three things you can work on. And you just always work on that piece and that process. But um, definitely, you know, you just, we need to, yeah, step out of their way and just be there in support. My, my older daughter played on a, an elite soccer team once, you know, traveling, they played like six tournaments a year in California and all that kind of stuff, like really elite. And, uh, and there were kids from all over the place that came to this particular program because it was a very good one. And mm -hmm. you know, everyone's goal was college scholarships, you know, et cetera, you know, and um, they went to this summer camp once and I came to pick her up early and observed and I wasn't observing her soccer technique or, you know, how she was doing. I was observing there were some guest coaches from Africa who were there coaching them. And I was observing how she and her teammates were treating the coaches. And my daughter did fine, but mm -hmm. I saw her teammates and they were treating them terribly, hmm. like really badly. And I sat down with my daughter afterwards and said, hey, I just want you to know if you were to ever treat those coaches, those guest coaches, the way your teammates were, I would pull you out immediately and we, you would be done with this program. We're good for you. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think is a, what a parent's job is. Yes. Forget results. Forget, yeah. you know, th that's what coaches are for, you know, yeah. but that's, that's our job. That's our, you know, our watch. If, if we screw up on the personality and character side, um, those, those lessons that are out there just waiting to be taught, you know, if we yeah. ignore that for, for emphasis on results, then uh, we're making a mistake. And I think it's the same when you're raising skiers, you know, yes. how do you, do you yeah. treat your children? Do you, do you treat your, your teammates? Well, are you a jerk to your coach and, you know, yeah. before race or after race, if things didn't go well, do you treat your parents crappy? you know, before, after race because of stress or something, that's not acceptable. I don't think, you know, No, I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. And the other thing I would put in there is like, always believe in them, right? They have these yeah. goals, but you have to believe in them. Just like different people in your life have believed in, believed in you in different situations. Yeah. Like huge, cool. Huge, cool. Yeah. yeah. So let me, let me turn the other side of the coin. Do you have any general advice for aspiring ski racers, things to avoid or something to prioritize, you know, talented junior yeah. skiers? Yeah. Um, so, you know, pretty simple, right? I, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, again, don't be too hard on yourselves because I think we are, um, people that race, you know, that choose skiing, you know, we are high achievers and we're going to be harder on ourselves no matter what. And I think you need to just, um, you need to relax about that for a little bit. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and then be patient again in the process for you, for you as an individual, every single skier is different and you're going to come to these different, um, you know, you're going to reach these different goals that you set for yourself at different times. It's not going to be the same as maybe someone in your own family or someone on your team. So you have to be patient with your, your process and do not compare yourself too much. Um, and then the other thing that I, I really suggest to them is starting sports psychology earlier. You know, I wish I would have done that. Like we just didn't have that 
um, around at that time for us. That was, it was easy to, you know, to get into, a, you know, see a sports psychiatrist or to just practice that in any way. Um, and I would highly recommend that you can see, you know, someone counseling you in sports psychology or practice mindfulness. Like, I think it's super important because of everything that's going on today in society too, with all the different, you know, people, there's so many, uh, the, you know, just as far as <laughs> devices and, and just, you know, the, the media and Facebook and Instagram, you know, you're expected, you think as a kid, just to be all these things that are so perfect and all these perfect, you know, you have these perfect lives and it's not the case. And the more you can get a handle on that, the better. And just um, get off your phone. <laughs> I like, I like the sports psychology thing. I, I would have benefited from that tremendously my whole life, but I think looking back at it now, you know, we've all been, got PhDs in that, you know, but no one cares because you're old and whatever. Yeah, exactly. But, but here's some advice that I would give on that lines and no one would want to hear it. It's the kind of thing no one wants to hear, but um, you're going to, you know, a, a young ski racer is going to spend so many hours and so much time working on their craft and fitness and so on. Enjoy it. If yeah. you don't enjoy it, you've already lost. Yes. Don't forget results. Enjoy it. Because you're spending so much time doing it. If it's only about the results and you're not enjoying it, unless you do well, you've already lost, you know, do something else then or, yeah. or figure out how to change your attitude because, you know, that's a lot of time not being spent, not enjoying something. Yep, exactly. And I think um, too, you know, remember you may not have this life forever. I mean, as far as the ability to move like you do and, you know, you, your teammates get injured and, it's like grasp every day. Every time you get on that race start, like this is, should be a celebration. It's what you train for. Yeah. It should be a celebration, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Oh my goodness. Like what if this person beats me? Oh my goodness. You know, you don't need those things going through your head. That's so. for sure. Yeah. What's, what's positive about any of them? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's switch gears again. Um, you're, uh, you're familiar with Toko Gloves? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love okay. the toko mitts. Sorry, I should have brought one up here. Okay, yes, I do love toko gloves. And I love the mitts because it keeps my hands warm. So the mitts you're talking about, I assume, are the toasty thermal mittens. The toasty those, thermal mittens. Those are your favorites? Because I was going to ask you what your favorite model was. but That's my favorite model. It is. Yes, yeah. you know, I, I think as I, I am pretty, like, I don't get cold easily, but my hands do when I'm out there all day. And when you're waxing and... Um, so I, I love the mitts. I ski in the mitts all the time and I wear them constantly and they, some actually have a little more padding than others. And I, I think the smaller sizes, um, have a little less padding. And so I try to get it a little bigger size that has more padding <laughs> and I love them. We, we also have two models of those over the years. One was the, oh. toasty, one was the toasty mitten. And then I discontinued that and introduced the toasty thermal mitten. So it could be your older ones have about a third the insulation. Because the toasty thermals got much more insulation. Those are newer. Yeah, the toasty thermals with lots of insulation. That's yeah. what you should get. Yeah. Those are great. Cool. Okay. They're really great. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a, just a couple of um, generic questions, but I think they're quite interesting sometimes. What do you know now that you wish that you'd known when you're 18? Yeah, okay. So when I was 18, uh, you know, I think about that part of my life and um, I definitely, you know, I wish that I would have been on a, you know, junior ski racing team. I think that would have been really cool. I didn't have that chance at that time in my life. Um, I also wish that in race results and with what I did that I wasn't as hard on myself because I think that's just detrimental. Like we've talked about, 
I wish I would have, when I look back at the teams that I've been on, I wish I would have been more a more confident young person to realize the benefit of a um, really positive team dynamic because I've been on many different teams and I've seen it go in many different directions and realized that when a team comes together, it brings everybody up and everybody has better results. And so when it's negative, everything gets just thrown apart and, and things go haywire. And I wish I would have been at 18, the type of person that would have gone into those teams. And even if my coaches weren't doing it, I would have stepped out and I would have created that myself. So I think that's super important for all of our young people in the teams and just reaching out and making that happen for your team. And the, the coaches are really busy. I know there's a lot of things that I miss and I wish I was better at and I continue to work at that, but um, help your coaches, like let them know what's going on. Let them know that um, you care about your team and that you would like to see this happen on your team, a really positive dynamic, because guess what? It's as we've seen um, with what's gone on in the U.S., it's only going to help every single performance of every single athlete. Cool. Thank you. How, yeah. Just another one. What is something about you that would surprise people if they were to find out? Um, okay. <laughs> well, there's a, there's some America, well, I've thought a little bit about this too. Like, you know, I definitely am moving around a lot. I do, I'm busy. You're right. And uh, I think some people think I never relax or anything, but um, I like to relax. <laughs> I just like have a busy life. So in the summers, like when I'm backpacking or if I'm in the mountains, um, some people probably wouldn't know this about me. Like I love just at the end of the day in a beautiful mountain setting, just being able to just stretch and contemplate life and just sit there. And I just love being able to sit because it happens so rarely. And then many people may not know that I'm a Swiss citizen, but I'm a Swiss citizen. Huh. <laughs> How is it that you're a Swiss citizen? From my father. So my father, yes. So yeah, he's a mugler. So if you go to Butler Fork up Big Cottonwood Canyon, there's a big aspen grove up there that's actually named after my dad. Hmm. Um, it's the because he's the, he was an aspen ecologist, and so they named that aspen grove after him because he did so much in that line of work. Um, and I can't stand ketchup. <laughs> that's cool. Here's a question: Do you still play music? Yes, I do. So I'm. I am involved with our community orchestra, um, but then COVID hit, and so I stopped that. But then Kent and I play. Kent's actually a really good guitar player, and we get together and play. But I always want to play more. I feel like when my life gets slows down, I really want to concentrate more on music. I miss it. Like, it was a huge part of my life, and I love it. So I have a sister, and she went to college and was a, a music major and played the violin at a high level, and, and she's been most of the time, I think she stopped now, but she was in a fiddle band for the longest time. She took her, her orchestra skills and was in a fiddle band. And of course the band was excellent. She was very good. Have you ever considered playing the uh, fiddle? Yeah. You know, I tried like, so a fiddle to me is like being in a jazz band. Right. So, and you have to, you, I'm really good at reading music. <laughs> so I was trained actually, um, you know, with, in more of a Baroque style and the classical, but I love, I would love to say that I could just like go out on a limb and fiddle everything away. And I, I'm not that great at it. I would like to learn that. Um, I'm more classical oriented and I read well and I can learn things really quickly, but I like music in front of me. So that's, that's definitely something I need to work on. It would be really fun because I love the fiddle. I love being able to just like, you know, just ad lib. And so someday. 
<laughs> so for her, it wasn't jazz, it was square dancing. She was a part of a square dancing oh, band. Nice. She was the, the fiddler, you know? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. very cool. <laughs> okay, so lastly, do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up, summed up in a few words? It's quite interesting to hear people's answers regarding this. Yeah, I guess for me, um, you know, I really like to practice being thankful and I like to practice gratitude because um, even in the toughest times of your life, I think when you look back, for me, the things that got me through were being thankful for everything that I had. And even though I lost a lot, everybody's going to lose a lot in their life. That's how life is. Something big will happen to you. And if it hasn't happened, it will happen. We all have that. And I think the more thankful you can be for, you know, just like your family, your friends, your health, what you have, like a house, right? Um, and all those little pieces of life, that is um, definitely my mantra. Like every day, you can't, you know, take it for granted. Can't take it for granted. Could just go really fast. And so See, that was what I would live by for sure. See, I told you you were wise. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I no, I'm definitely not. I just that's what I think. Yeah, those are wise words. That's, those are life-changing words if a person embraces them. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I always enjoy visiting you. I, with you, I feel like we've become, even though I barely see you anymore, I feel like we're still quite good friends. And I, I love uh, every time I get to rub shoulders with you, I enjoy it. Definitely. Um, I'm glad to see you happy and, uh, and thriving. Looks like you're thriving. Yeah, I'm doing um, well. Yeah, great. Your girls look like they're doing well. And I wish you and uh, best luck, best of luck to Novi this winter and best of luck to you and your whole family this winter too. So yeah, you too. So much for doing this. Yeah. Same with Pearl, Antia, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>